We're going to read a few verses from Isaiah 40. If you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. For those online, the words will come up on screen. Remember, of course, we're reading from the authorized version. Let's hear the word of God. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she have received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord have spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. I'm going to ask Mr. John Hamilton to come up now. And just as he comes, I want you to remember Rachel in prayer. I would ask you to remember Yasmin also in prayer. And let's pray also for what's happening in North Libya for this terrible uh, dam that's burst and the destruction that has come, thousands of lives have been lost. Do pray that the Lord will help even in that uh, situation. Mr. Hamilton, you're very welcome. The Lord bless you. Thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone. I would like to start by thanking the Reverend McLaughlin and the church congregation here for the invitation this evening. Um, <clears throat> if any of you know me, I'm not a public speaker, so if you see me starting to mumble, it's just the nerves kicking in. So um, I will start tonight um, about talking about my testimony. Um, I will firstly, my three titles would be Cherry Valley Farm, My Christianity and the Challenges God Has Put in My Path following a road traffic accident in 2019. Um, firstly, I'll start by saying I was born in 1980. Um, into a Christian family, and I'm one of four siblings. I have an older sister and a younger sister and a younger brother. My parents and grandparents were saved, <clears throat> so that was a great privilege growing up. My mum and dad were married, 
in and attended the Martyrs Memorial Church. So from I was any age, we would have started going to the Martyrs until our work was started in later years in Cumber Orange Hall. Um, we were sent along once a Sunday school started there and we attended children's meetings and youth fellowship and in later years, youth rallies. Um, now that I have four children of, of me and well, my own, and Jamma's like, um, it makes me realize the importance of being brought up in the church and making Christian friends and relationships with other Christian folk. Um, <clears throat> also to learn the things of God and instruction for life. Um, in church, I learned the ways of God from an early age, and from an early age, I learned my need of salvation. Um, when I was five and a half, I realized I needed to get right with God to go to heaven. So one evening, I knelt at my bedside and asked God to come into my heart to forgive my sins and to save me. Um, life as a Christian was easy in primary school, but it was much more difficult to take a stand in as a Christian in secondary school, um, where you're like more likely to be uh, ridiculed for being different. Um, so going through school, I tended to shy away from those types of people that were you know, more ungodly and were the popular ones. Um, so I just tended to go <laughs> through school unnoticed. <laughs> um, the best thing for me just from that school was the, <laughs> was the bus home. <laughs> um, but it's hard to believe that going through school I never missed a day, even though <laughs> in 14 years, <laughs> even though I hated school so much. Um, so for as long as I remember, I was either out and about or else thinking about farming. Um, I couldn't wait to get home from school to get out into the farm. Um, I love nothing more than sticking my welly boots on and walking through the mucky fields. Um, There's one time I was, my mum told me I was that determined to go down the field to, to meet my dad, that I got my welly stuck in the, in the, in the field and I ended up walking down in my muddy socks. Um, mum even managed a few times to drag me away from the farm to go shopping. But uh, I was seen pulling out weeds between the pavements and 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 yard. I always knew I always wanted to be a farmer. So after leaving school, I decided to do a qualification in agriculture before returning home to farm full time. So I applied to Dreammount Agricultural College and done an HND in agricultural mechanisation in Antrim town. I really enjoyed my time there, as I was learning about the subject that interested me, which was farming. I was blessed to be alongside other Christian friends who I knew from Cumber. We traveled up together. Um, it, we also had various Christian lectures as well, which I enjoyed through my time at, at college. But I was still counting down the days until I had finished my assignments and exams and that I could fully uh, commit to going home to farm full time. Um, after working for a number of years, I decided it was time to build a house for the future. So I approached my, my granddad one evening for advice because he had built, he had bung, built a new bungalow after the passing of my granny. So I went to him for advice and he said to me at the time, 
So who are you going to live in this house with? <laughs> so I just laughed. I says, don't worry, Gronda. And he says to me, don't you know that the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone? So I think he was trying to tell me at the time it was, it was time for the farmer to find a wife. So, um, so through time, I prayed that God would lead me to find a godly wife. And I'm thankful that I found Gemma a few, la- a few years later. <clears throat> Uh, we eventually got our house built a few months before our first son, Noah, came. Um, <clears throat> but we, <clears throat> before we knew it, the years had passed quickly, and God had blessed us with three more children, Maddie, who's with us tonight, as well as our oldest son, Noah, then Nancy and Seth, who are with my mum and dad tonight. <clears throat> I look back in those years of thanksgiving to God for all his blessings, but at the same time, I look back with a sense of regret for all the time and energy I spent on farming rather than on my family and my faith. Many a time I worked so late in the night or early morning that I didn't even see my family all day. Um, there was one time I even worked 36 hours in, the, in a day, or continually, I didn't even go to bed one day. Um, that's, how, that's how bad I was, no working, too, mu- too much work and no emphasis on the family or God. Um, my parents even told me that I didn't need to work so much, which is bad when your boss tells you to work less. Um, but um, so, sadly, I allowed farming to take over my life. Um, the Bible clearly says in Exodus 20, verse 3, that I shall have no other gods before me. I didn't realize at the time I was put in farming before everything, and especially God. Um, when I got home, I was too tired to even do my readings and pray. Um, but... Um, being out in the fresh air all the time had many benefits. I always w- was blessed with good health. And as I said before, I'd never missed a day in 14 years of school. I was never sick. Gemma only remembers one time that she's ever seen me sick before my illness. Um, so I was never near doctors. I was near, never near hospitals. Um, so it never, it never passed through my head that I, that I was, that I had a, that I was ill. Um, I never had a head in a serious health condition, but um, this all changed in September 19. I was, I was returning home one evening from, uh, I was sent down, uh, we ran out of packaging when we were doing a parsing border, so I went down the carriageway from Cumberland Yards and went to pick up packaging, but uh, the premises was closed. So I returned to the yard and um, my brother had the phone number and he rang, he rang the owner and I returned down the carriageway. Uh, the, he met me at the gate and I got the packaging you know, for the complete order for that evening. So, But when he gave me the packaging, the, um, the thing he said and, and when, before I left was, um, be careful on the way home. And this stood out in my head because... If you know this guy, he wouldn't be very sympathetic because I, I did a work placement and while I was there, his, his record was 10 months before he sacked someone. So um, I wouldn't say he had a heart to, to show sympathy. So when he said this here, it actually stood out in my head. So it was only a few minutes later when I returned down the carriageway to approach the lane, I was hit from behind and at 60 mile an hour and put off the, and put off the road in the church car park at the Free Church. And 
as a result. Um, I took the fence out and concrete posts and the van was like a Coke, Coke can. Um, so um, the, the residents in the manse heard the, heard, the, heard the crash and rung for the ambulance. So I was still uh, in a daze and in shock and in serious pain from my neck and my back. So when the ambulance arrived, they placed me on a stretcher uh, on a neck brace and rushed me to the Ulster Hospital. Um, when, I, when I was there, they later sent me for a CT scan that night. This happened about five, half five in the evening. And when the ambulance took me in, they, a few hours later, they took me for a CT scan. Um, all that night I, I struggled to sleep, I was in that much pain, so uh, doctor came, uh, one of the doctors came at 6 o'clock in the morning, they asked how I had slept, and I said I hadn't slept all night, and he gave me morphine. So I got to sleep then, and then about nine, half nine, I heard this voice, I woke up to hear the nurse saying, I, we have a visitor for you. So it turned out to be the Reverend Samuel Murray, who was our interim moderator at the time, and I uh, clearly remember him saying, all things happen for a reason. So at that time, I didn't know what, what he meant. Um, so after he left, Gemma arrived up at, to the hospital just in time to accompany me for an MRI. The doctors were unsure what they saw from the CT scans and decided an MRI would help determine what they were dealing with better. So. A few, few hours later, at the lunchtime, a female neurologist entered the room to inform me that the scans revealed I had multiple tumours in my spine and a large tumour located at the base of my sacrum and another one in, in my brain. Um, the only way I could describe <laughs> feeling at the time was, was numb. Um, Gemma remembers the colour drain down my face. She said I, I went, just turned grey grey, the colour of my skin. Um, it was a surreal moment. Um, it wasn't long before I started thinking, uh, I'm going to die soon. Um, Satan has many devices to discourage us, and he was using fear to attack me at this time. Uh, but God used his, his people to send verses of hope. Um, Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yeah, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So in the December 2019, I was called to have a fine needle biopsy. This was on a Sunday morning. I remember lying, lying in the CT scanner, face down, crying to myself, Lord, why me? Why me? Why, am I, why is it me lying here? And it wasn't easy. So once... Uh, once the doctor w w went to put the first needle in, he actually, he actually missed the, the spot. <laughs> and he says to me, what happened there? I says, I've got a big pain right down my leg. He says, that wasn't meant to happen. And he rushed around to the front of the screen. So I take it that wasn't meant to happen. So he says, it's OK, we have another needle to go in. So I remember clenching my teeth and <laughs> hoping for the best. <laughs> Uh, thankfully, the next time he, he hit the right place. Um, so, in, 20, in January 2020, they decided that the, 
there was news back that the biopsy was insufficient and that I would need to go for uh, tissue and uh, or the the needle biopsy wasn't uh, it wasn't a success. They even sent a, a sample over to London and it came back inconclusive. So they decided to do surgery to remove tissue and bone sample. So this required more waiting on results coming back. The crisis I was experiencing taught me to lean on God uh, for His grace and mercy. God was using this period of waiting on results and hospital appointments to renew my faith and relationship with him. Every day he was giving me just enough grace to get me through the day. Um, I started to realize this accident was a blessing in disguise. Prior to the accident, I would have had no symptoms. I would not have known about the tumors. Um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many add to the glory of God. Um, verse 17 also goes on to say, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. It's showing us here that our afflictions, though they might seem heavy, are light compared to what the Saviour suffered for us on the cross. Um, <clears throat> in March, the biopsy results confirmed that I had micellary ependymoma which was an extremely rare form of cancer. Only one or two people in a million are diagnosed with it. Um, I could, if, this was, if this had not been found, this would have continued to spread through my spinal canal and brain, potentially causing seizures and paralysis of the lower limbs. Um, it was decided by the oncologist that they would uh, go through the procedure for me of radiotherapy to reduce the size of the tumours. Surgery was not an option due to the vast spread of the tumours along my spine and the depth of the tumour inside my brain. So prior, prior to this uh, radiotherapy, I uh, had to go for, to get a mask made for the protective parts of my brain that weren't receiving the treatment. Um, this was a real scary moment, like, because when I got the mask fitted for the first time, I couldn't even swallow my saliva. It was up tight around, right around my neck. I couldn't even swallow saliva and I couldn't hardly breathe. So I says to them, will you be able to loosen this? She says, no, you have to get used to this because this is what, how tight it's going to be when you actually get your treatment. So, so um, this was one of my biggest fears before I started the, the treatment, but with God's help and many prayers of people of, in the church. When I, when I went for my first, first treatment, the fear was gone and the mask no longer scared, scared me, which was unbelievable because I couldn't even breathe or swallow, but God gave me the help no to face it. So, um, so I was trusting the fact that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he definitely gave me the strength on that occasion. Um, obviously there were many side effects to the treatment I received. I became so tired, sick and weak, and I had absolutely no appetite. Anything I ate was, was thrown straight up and was always <laughs> ended up in the sink, unfortunately. Um, I thought I was getting away with my hair loss. Three weeks I still had my head of hair until 
<laughs> one evening I was having a shower and I just started coming out in clumps and I was like, clumps? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> so I've actually lost, I lost, um, I lost my hair as well. So that was, that wasn't a fun experience. But um, I finished my treatment on the 16th of July and was ex told to expect a future MRI to check for progress. The first scan of my treatment showed the tumours were reducing in size. This was amazing news to receive. It was such an answer to prayer. Within a short time, I was back at work. Instead of taking the necessary time for my body to recuperate, I decided to get back to work as soon as I could. Um, a year later, I thought everything was back to normal, but God had other ideas. In the January of 2022, I started to experience spells of dizziness and serious headaches. Um, I, I, I bore this for two or three weeks, hoping it would, it would cure itself, but it didn't. So I, I went to my GP and told them what was wrong with me, and they suspected I had vertigo. So they gave me, they gave me tablets for this, and after three Three weeks, no difference. So they changed my medicines onto another one and still no better. So I ended up back on the original one and it didn't work out. So um, so ended up, it wasn't actually vertigo. After 12 weeks of enduring this, it ended up, it was a, a leakage of fluid in the brain. I had no fluid in one side of the brain and it built up on the other side. And this was causing my, this was causing my um, discomfort. Um, I wasn't, eventually um, it got that bad, I couldn't even work anymore. So um, I was, if I was out in the tractor for like 15 minutes, I ended up having to park her up and lie down face in the coat and sleep for half an hour and then try and fight it, get back up in again and fight for another 15 minutes. So really in a day, I would have got a bit hard on. Um, so it ended up, I just had a face that I was not well and I ended up spending a month in bed, just sleeping the whole time. Um, the truth was like I was, I'd, I'd slipped back in my old ways, putting the farm before everything again and God was rebuking me. So. Uh, so he had to put me back in my face to realize that I was not putting him first in my life again. Um, despite feeling so unwell, I'm thankful to God for helping me realize that I needed to make big changes. I could not go on ignoring God's voice. Um, um, I'm glad to say that I'm standing here tonight in good, in good health, as far as I know. Um, I have to go for another MRI on Friday, so... I pray that it'll go okay when I go on Friday for my six-month checkup again. Um, so I've learned like through all this here that God will do whatever he has to do to bring you back to him and turn away from your sin. Um, sin is like a cancer. It only takes one unidentified, unchecked cell to destroy your whole body. It only takes one night or one morning. Being too tired to even read his word or pray that can end up falling into the trap of forsaking God's word and, and not communing with him. Um, the devil is subtle. He will use your weakness 
to take your focus off God and his word because it is his word that shields us from the devil and from his attacks. I have to say that God's presence was the most felt when I was at my lowest and my weakest. I could only turn on God for help. Doctors and nurses could only do so much, but it had to be, it had to be God that had to step in and take control. In Jeremiah 29, verse 13, God says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See the way God uses the word all your heart, um, not half measured. Um, as God, God made me and knows me <laughs> that I am a naturally very thrown, stubborn person, so I'm not easily turned. So um, God had to go through all these things to actually get through to me. Um, um, I'd like to uh, thank you know, God like for how good he's been to me over this last few years from after the accident I wasn't even fit to walk upstairs I had spent four months in a recliner chair I couldn't even get upstairs to bed but now I'm even I don't even need tablets I don't need physiotherapy and I have no pain so like God has been so good um, uh, God has also uh, been good too he's, he's spurred my dad in an accident there in March time um, I just wanted to add in, um, just shows you how God, God works in strange ways. It's just one morning, uh, I got a phone call at three o'clock in the morning, and my dad, my dad rang me, and all I could hear was, John, John, and it was my dad's voice, and I knew my dad was in trouble. I thought he was taking a heart attack, but it ended up, I knew he was, must have been somewhere close, and he was in trouble, so uh, I was still in my jammy shorts and uh, top, and I just threw on the closest shoes I had and run out and there I found my dad was being sandwiched between a forklift pile of stuff and the back of the lorry. He was faced in, reaching stuff into the lorry when he was being being squashed by the forklift and he only happened to have my number as the last call when he pressed a button in his pocket. He couldn't even get his hands out into his pocket to even see his phone. Unfortunately my number was the last number and he um, rung my number and I heard him in distress and he he said if I had only been two months later, he would have suffocated from the chest being squashed against the lorry. So God has been really good to our family and he's been really good to me. So I would like to thank all the people who've prayed for me and family members and God's people for, for a difficult journey I've been on and for, for all the grace he's given and help. I'd like to... Passover now to Gemma. Okay. Thanks for listening. Good evening, everybody. It's such a joy to be here tonight. With you all, and thank you again, Mr. Reverend McLaughlin, for having us. Um, we're, as you can tell, we're both relatively new to giving our testimony, so please do excuse the, the wobbles and the nerves. Um, we'll try to get through this. <laughs> um, as daunting as it is to be up here, it's also a great joy um, to be able to share my testimony with you all, um, because I feel like God has been encouraged me to do this for a while. Um, 
when John had his accident and received the diagnosis, I think we both knew that one day he would testify um, of how God had saved him in more ways than one. Um, the idea of joining him up here didn't once enter my head until one night last year, actually. Um, it was uh, March last year and Crown College in England had visited our church in Cumber to host a special evening service. Uh, the students taking part were very inspiring and I really admired their willingness to serve the Lord. But I was particularly challenged that night by the verse the visiting pastor was preaching on. It was taken from Philippians 1 verse 20 and it says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. I've read this verse many times, but that night I felt God speaking directly to me. I felt conviction and I was challenged to consider how my life and my body were magnifying Christ. I went home after the meeting and wrote this verse on the front of my Bible under the title, My Life's Motto. With God's help, I was going to be bolder and start to magnify Christ. Since that night, I've been asking God to give me an opportunity that will require me to be bold. God has been preparing my heart and I'm very thankful for this opportunity tonight to magnify Christ in telling of how he has saved me and continues to lead me. So back to the very beginning, I was born in Craigavon Area Hospital in 1984 and I grew up in Portadown. My parents gave my sister, brother and I very, very happy childhoods filled with lots of love and I'm very thankful for that childhood. We belonged to our local Methodist church where we were encouraged to attend Sunday school, Bible class and the girls and boys brigades. I knew from an early age that there was a God in heaven who created all things and loved me. This was very comforting to me as a child because I spent most of my childhood worrying. My home life was never the issue. In fact, it was where I felt I could be, always be myself. Outside the house though, and in particular school, was where I worried endlessly. I used to worry so much, I made myself physically ill. I worried what the teachers thought of me. I worried about making friends and keeping friends. I worried about what people in general would think about me. Their opinion mattered about me for some reason. So I became a bit of a people pleaser. At night, I remember praying for Jesus to help me the next day in school. To me, Jesus was a kind friend, and if you prayed to him, he would answer your prayers and make things better. As a child, I knew things about Jesus. I knew all the stories in the Bible. I knew all the books of the Bible. And I knew I could talk to Jesus, but I didn't really know Jesus, at least not the way he wanted I managed somehow to survive primary school, saying and doing the right things to be liked by my teachers and classmates, never standing out but not unpopular either. The first year and a half of big school was a roller coaster. I fell in with a new group of friends, so of course I wanted them to like me. I became a different version of myself and I didn't like it. My head knowledge of Jesus' teachings helped me to realize that my attitude and behavior was sinful. Even though I wasn't yet a Christian, 
I am grateful today that I was sent along to Sunday school and was able to learn something about the type of person God wanted me to be. And I realised that I couldn't be that person by hanging around with this group of friends. So I distanced myself from them, which they didn't like, and they started to bully me. It didn't feel like it at the time, but God was in the middle of that situation. He had bigger and better plans, and they didn't involve this particular group of friends. I was soon befriended by a quiet girl in my form class. She was a Christian. I'd never been friends with a Christian before, but I'd noticed her and her group of Christian friends. None of us really see each other anymore. Most of us haven't moved away from home, but I will always remember my first group of Christian friends. And especially one night, back all the way back in February 1998, we were having a sleepover, and each of us was tucked inside a sleeping bag on my friend's living room floor. In the wee small hours, the talk took on a more serious tone, and we started to discuss faith and salvation. Up until that point, I had never questioned what it meant to be a Christian. I accepted they all were, but never until that night ever felt compelled to ask. So I asked, and they told me. They told me in the simplest of terms that we are all sinful by nature, and we cannot enter into heaven because God is a holy God. There is nothing we can do about our own sin. We cannot get rid of it by being nice people. We cannot pay to have it taken away. But Jesus can, and he did pay the price. They told me that God sent Jesus into this world to die, to take my place so that I wouldn't have to suffer and die and be condemned to hell. They made me realize that if I wanted to spend eternity in heaven, then I must ask Jesus to save me. I can't say with certainty that I had never heard what they were talking about or what they were telling me before, but tonight, that night it really was a revelation. It was as if the first time I'd really heard God speak directly to me. I was, without any doubt, under the Lord's conviction, and I knew that I had to be saved right away. This group of Christian girls led me in a simple sinner's prayer, which I prayed with all my heart. The Bible says in Romans 10 and the verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, thou shalt be saved. And so that night in a sleeping bag on a living room floor in Portadown as a 13-year-old girl, I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and save me. And he did. Amen. And not only did he save me, but he gave me a new identity in him. I soon came to learn that I didn't need to be a people pleaser. My main aim in life is to please God and to bring glory to him. The next few years in school were the most enjoyable years in my education. I was no longer the same worried girl I was before, and I had a newfound confidence that came from knowing God. Of course, there weren't many challenges in my life at this point. I was still leading quite a sheltered life, living at home, only really going to school. But on Saturday nights, I had the joy of attending a local church fellowship called CE, Christian Endeavour. I am still thankful to this day for that fellowship, as it was here where I learned to grow as a Christian through the ministry of leaders and preachers who were born-again Christians. I give thanks to God for all the born-again men and women youth workers in our churches. Their work amongst the children and young people is so important. And I would encourage anybody here tonight involved in this important work 
to remain faithful because your words and actions are so important in doing life-changing work in young people's lives. It was not difficult to take my stand for the Lord at school. Many pupils in my year group were saved and we had a thriving scripture union as well as many Christian teachers. But school was ending for me and at the beginning of upper sixth we had to fill in our UCAS forms for university. The thought of going out into the world was daunting but my confidence was in the Lord and I trusted in him to guide me. Deciding what to do next was difficult. When I was asked as a child what I wanted to be when I grew up, my answer was always a mummy. <laughs> I definitely couldn't put that on my UCAS form. So I sought the Lord in prayer and I asked him to lead me. I had grown very fond of languages and especially French at school. So I decided to go to Queen's to study languages. First and second year of Queen's, I was blessed to live among Christians. And again, I thank God for this because I was still an immature Christian and I felt I lacked the confidence to stand on my own two feet. I knew third year was going to be difficult for me. It was the study and work abroad year of my degree and I had no choice but to go. We had to pick our top three destinations in France to work as English language assistants in high schools. I chose sunny Montpellier in the south of France. If I had to work abroad, I was going to enjoy and make the most of it. I purposely didn't choose Paris. The thought of living in a large city terrified me. So I was shocked to discover they were sending me to Paris. I had to accept this was God's will, even though I was upset and didn't understand why God would allow me to go here. Psalm 32 in the verse eight was a comfort. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. In the years since becoming a Christian, God had been preparing me for this time when I would leave the comfort of my home, family and friends to test my faith. Even though I was scared and unsure, I knew that God was with me and that gave me all the comfort I needed. The whole year I was in France, I was homesick and lonely and probably cried every day, but can honestly say I've never felt so close to God. He carried me through and now when I look back upon that horrendous year, God had a purpose for me going there and to Paris specifically. On one occasion when I was feeling particularly low, I received a message out of the blue from a friend from home. They were planning on visiting Disneyland with a group of friends and wondered would I like to join them for the day. So seeing as I was so homesick, I said yes, definitely, um, and jumped at the chance. That was the day I met my husband. <laughs> as far as love stories go, I don't think Hollywood are going to get in touch anytime soon. Um, uh, it probably would have sounded more romantic if we'd met on the top of Eiffel Tower or along the Champs-Élysées, but no, it was Disneyland with Mickey and Goofy. <laughs> we didn't speak to one another, but John tells me he definitely remembered me. Then on the first weekend back home after my year abroad, a Christian friend invited me to a meeting close to Armagh. She said a few people from Cumber were coming along and wondered if I might, if, and I wondered if the group might include some of the people I'd met in Paris. It did, John was there. Again, I don't remember talking to John. You have to bear in mind he's a man of few words. But if I hadn't realized by that point that God was trying to point me in John's direction, I most certainly did on this next occasion. I had never been to a youth rally before, but a friend asked me to go along one Sunday evening to Randallstown. Um, this was my first experience in a free Presbyterian church, actually. Um, I couldn't believe how many young people were inside the church that night. It was really amazing to see. 
Um, the men on the doors told us there might be a few seats upstairs on the balcony, so that's where we headed and squeezed past so many pairs of legs until we found two seats. I looked up and to my left, and there was John sitting right beside me. And as they say, the rest is history. Getting married and moving to Cumber brought about a lot of change in my life. Everything was new all at the same time for me. A new town, new home, new church, and a new job as a teacher. It was a lot of change all at the same time. But I rejoice in the unchanging nature of the Lord. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, in the verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. It is such a comfort to be loved by Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, and to know that he has a plan for my life, even when I'm not completely sure of it. As I've grown in my walk with God, I've learned to seek his will more and more and realise that it may not be revealed to me when I want it to be. John will probably tell you that I'm quite an impatient person, usually look at everything done yesterday. <laughs> but I've definitely learned to trust in God's timing because he will certainly reveal his will for my life at the right time. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. As you know, I've always wanted to be a mum, and I'd hoped it would be in God's will to bless me with a family, which he did, um, and giving us four wonderful children, two of which are here tonight, as John said. Being a stay-at-home mum now might be seen by some as a backward step in this feminism movement we hear so much about nowadays, but I know that this is where God wants me for this particular season of my life. At times, it can feel frustrating when I feel I can't get away from my responsibilities as a mum to be close enough to God, whether that be by not being able to attend meetings or getting a proper quiet time with God. But I'm reminded in the Bible that whereas men have to climb the mountain to meet God, God comes to meet women wherever they are. He meets them at the wells where they draw, draw water for their families in their homes in their kitchens, in their gardens, even at the empty tomb. Mary was the first to witness Jesus' resurrection. She was there because she was doing the womanly chore of properly preparing Christ's body for burial. So when I bemoan the fact that I don't have as much time to spend in the mountains with God as I would like, I'm reminded that God comes to women and mums like me. And in the most ordinary places, the most ordinary things. In truth, it's been a real blessing to be at home since having the children. Um, I was able to lead three of them to salvation. And that's 
has been my biggest joy and accomplishment as a Christian. And John and I pray for household salvation when Seth is old enough to put his trust in the Lord. Sorry. Being in the home has also been a massive blessing for our family over the past four years, ever since John received his cancer diagnosis. With the help of family, I was able to attend hospital appointments with John, which became so regular. I feel like we've seen more of each other in the past four years than we have over 15 years of marriage. Um, we used to joke uh, we were off on another date every time we went to a hospital appointment. Um, when John had the fan accident, I went with him in the ambulance to NA. When I left him late that night to go home to the children, I was obviously upset at what had happened, um, but I didn't fear there would be any lasting damage. I went back first thing the next morning and waited with him for results. They wanted an MRI because they were unsure whether what they were seeing were broken neck bones or something else. It never once occurred to us that there, there was something else and that that something might be tumours. Um, John was always so healthy and I'd never known him to be sick for more than a day. So it came as a massive shock when the doctor broke the news. Um, he was discharged from any that day, which was a Friday. Phone calls were made to family and friends, and we instantly felt an outpouring of love and support from everyone. It is so good to be part of a church family, who we know still continue to pray for us, but it is even better to belong to the Lord. We sought his help, his mercy, and his grace like never before. And he administered it to us in a way that we had never before experienced. Amen. Um, on the Sunday after we received the news, um, a visiting minister preached on a portion of scripture in Isaiah. Uh, to be honest, I was finding it really hard to, to follow along because I was still processing what, had, what we just found out two days before. But one of the verses, it's the strangest thing because I can't tell you anything about the sermon, but I remember the verse. And it was a verse in Isaiah, and it was verse 15 of the 41st chapter. And it said, Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument, having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains, and beat them small, and shalt make the hills as chaff. I can't tell you how many times I've read, thought about, and prayed this verse since God placed it on my heart that Sunday. For me, and everybody interprets scripture differently, but for me, it was a promise from God that John was going to get better because God was showing me that the mountains in the verse represented John's tumors and they were going to get smaller. And the medical evidence we now have proves what God knew all along. The larger tumors, like the mountains, are still there, but they have been beaten small. And the smaller tumors are barely visible and worthless, like the chaff. There have been many hard days when things seem to be getting worse for John, rather than better. Still, God reminded me of this verse. 
And we have never questioned why this was happening to John and our family because we trust in God's perfect plan for each of our lives. We did often question how anyone could go through the same thing without the reassurance and help of the Lord. We are only here today because of God's mercy and his great love for us. I would just like to finish by reading a prayer I wrote and which I recently found in a notebook of mine. It's dated the 6th of October 2002 when I was 17. The words are very simple and they were written at a time when I was about to start out in life, unsure of what the future held for me. Nearly 21 years later and I find myself still able to pray this prayer. If you're saved and know the Lord, I hope the words will remind you of God's great love. And if you're still unsaved, I pray these words will encourage you tonight to realize you face an eternity cut off from God's great love unless you repent and seek his forgiveness. So could they all please pray? Lord, thank you for being a loving God and a God who is interested in every single part of all our lives. You know everything about us. You know what is on our hearts. There is no place we can go to escape your love. Your love is an all-consuming love. We did nothing to deserve it, but still you reveal it to us. The greatest love you could ever have shown us was by sacrificing your son for the sins of the world. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Today and forever, I want to surrender every part of my life to you. Let your Holy Spirit descend upon my life. Live within me. Use me as your earthly servant to do your will. I give all that I am to you. I leave all of my sins at the cross. I cast all of my cares upon you. Come into this sinful heart and create within me a pure one, a heart ready to do your will. Reveal your plans for my life. Let me be patient to wait for you to reveal your plans for my life. If ever I stray from your side, draw me close to you. Don't let me become attached to the ways of the world. I want to live for you only. Let everything I do be of praise to your holy name. I love you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you.